Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. Man, we uh, don't need to get tired of telling and reminding people of things, and we must also not grow tired of hearing these things. Amen. Uh, as a pastor, uh, you know, I have to keep things kind of in the mix, if you will. There's just certain things that I must continually bring to your remembrance. I must keep them coming. I must keep teaching on. I must keep going to certain passages and certain verses. I must, I must keep uh, certain things in, in the flow, if you will. But as a hearer of the word, we must also posture ourselves and position ourselves that we never grow weary or grow tired of hearing those things either. Um, that, you know, the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter uh, 5 tells us that we can grow dull of hearing, uh, that we can get tired of hearing certain things, that there's certain directions that our heart becomes, um, you know, just weary in responding to. Oh, we're hearing that word again. Oh, he's teaching on that again. Oh, he's stressing that point again. There are certain things, uh, Paul, Peter, even Jesus himself said, I'm going to bring things to you by way of reminder. And we need to treat the reminders of God just as we treated the revelation of God. Treat the, mind, the reminders that God brings us with the same value and the same honor and the same receptivity as we did when it was first initially revealed. You know how it is, man, when, when you hear someone teaching or preaching and they bring a word that just pops a light bulb off in you. You ever experienced that? Amen. It's just revelation. It's just like, oh my God, say it again, write it down, highlight it, underline it, put stars on it. You're meditating. But hey, sometimes we, we, we don't treat the reminders with the same value that we treated the initial revelation. It should pop off in you again the same way it came the first time you heard it. It should light something up within you. He says, I don't grow tired of telling you these things. I do it, watch this, to safeguard your faith. Did you know your faith needs to be safeguarded? Our faith needs to be protected. We cannot take for granted what we walk in and what we receive and what we know. And if we don't safeguard the faith, we'll lose the faith. If we don't safeguard what we believe, it will get attacked. We know this, that the enemy comes immediately to steal the word that was ministered, the word that was sown. Uh, they're using the uh, parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13. The, the sower sows the word and the enemy comes immediately, he says. You know, the enemy right now is watching over what you are receiving and what you are uh, being sown into your heart. Right now, he's watching over that. And he wastes no time, wastes no time in attacking that word. 
You know, in, in that parable, you'll actually find that in, in all four cases, the seed that was sown along the wayside on stony ground, the seed that was sown among thorns, the seed that went in but didn't take root, and then the seed that bared good fruit, bore good fruit. All cases, it says, and when they heard the word, and when they heard the word, and when they heard the word, and when they heard the word. And James chapter one, verse 22 tells us, do not be deceived. One that hears but doesn't do didn't receive anything at all. And we live in, in a culture today, you know, that wants to reduce receiving down to its lowest form. Well, I was there. I heard. I heard what the pastor had to say. I attended service this morning. Maybe you even took notes. Maybe, maybe you even registered it for a little while. But hearing without application, hearing without doing, hearing eventually forfeits the seed sown eventually compromises what was laid out. Eventually, uh, we don't overcome the enemy by what we hear. We overcome the enemy by what we apply from what we hear. We can make a statement, the word changes everything. It has the capacity to change everything. But there are many people that hear, but the word's not changing anything in their life. It's not bringing the, the desired result. It's not yielding the desired fruit in their life because there's no application attached to the hearing. We can't be deceived that, well, I heard, well, I attended, well, I was there, well, I wrote it down. That, that automatically translates into yielding fruit. No, it's the application of the word. It's living out the word. It's letting it get so deep within our spirit that it becomes a conviction that I must apply and live by this now. Don't ever let seed lay on the surface. Y'all with me? Don't ever let seed. I will never, I, I, I don't care how boring the minister is. I don't care how different it is than the preference that I like to receive from. I don't care how, I will find something. I will not sit under the word and allow that word to not yield results in my life because of some kind of weird preference or some kind of lack of receiving. I will get something. I will get a nugget and I will live off that nugget. I don't care. It may not have been the whole chicken fried steak I was coming to get, but if that if I get a nugget, I'm going to make that nugget everything. I'm going to make it count for everything I can. I will never let a revelation or a reminder fall by the wayside and live on the surface. It's going to get deep into my heart so I can apply it and yield results from it. Amen? He's saying, I never grow tired of bringing you this word. I never will grow tired of reminding you. I will not, I refuse to grow tired in bringing remembrances to you, keeping this before you. He says, I do it to safeguard your faith. Verse two, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Watch out for those dogs. Uh, in, in this time frame in the Bible, dogs were an unclean animal. And he's referring to Judaizers. 
He's referring to a group of individuals that would come in immediately to steal away what Paul was sowing in the word. They would come in immediately to oppose, hinder, and restrict the gospel from yielding these results he's talking about. The reason why I have to remind you is because someone's come in to try to take this. Someone's tried to come in to undermine what I've ministered to you. I brought you the gospel. I've ministered to you the kingdom, but somebody's coming in behind you. And, and you may not have people in your life that are literally opposing uh, the gospel and telling you the opposite. Maybe you do, but most of you probably aren't going out of here and, and having conversations with people that are literally attacking and opposing what's ministered here on a weekly basis, but something in your life is trying to steal away the life blood and the life source to cause you to, to doubt and disbelieve, come on, and devalue and dishonor the word of God. Now, these were physical individuals, Judaizers, that would come in behind uh, Paul. He'd go into a town, man, he'd minister, he'd be in their synagogues teaching and bringing the word, and man, you know, those revelation light bulbs popping off in people, and then he would leave, and somebody would come in and say, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you about what that last guy was talking to you about. And specifically in this passage, what they were ministering was that if you weren't circumcised, you weren't really born again. And in that sense, what they're saying is unless you are performing, unless you meet the natural criteria, unless you do the natural things, you're not really in the kingdom of God. And so Paul uses a word here. He calls them mutilators. It's kind of a play on words because that's literally what they were suggesting was that you needed to physically mutilate your body in order to be in right alignment with God's authority. And Paul is saying, man, uh, we're, we're beyond that. That now what we receive from God is by spirit. It's not by what I do naturally. It's not by mode of performance. It's not mode of, of behavioral modification. This is about what God's doing on the inside of my life. Now, this is the interesting thing about the devil. When he realizes you are too far gone to be tempted with sin, he'll tempt you with something else. When the enemy realizes he can't tempt you with fornication anymore, he can't tempt you with adultery, he can't tempt you with lying and cheating and greed, he, he can't pull that one over on you anymore. When he realizes, I can't get them to do something that is directly in opposition of God's word, then what I will tempt them with is religious activity, self-righteousness. You remember the temptation that the snake gave Adam and Eve in the garden, right? To eat of the fruit. And what was the result? That you would be more like God. Not less like God. So sometimes we fall for these traps that the enemy lays 
we, tr- we fall for these traps that, that, that he knows he can't get us to sleep around anymore. He can't get us to booze it up and, 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 and dry, uh, live in a, in a drunken waste. He can't get us to do this and to do that. Like those things are beyond us. We know that we're set free from those bondage. We're set free from those sins. We're set free from those uh, restraints that, 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 that the world offers us. We've come out of darkness into light. Amen. So what he'll do is he will extend to you something that makes you think you become more righteous. Something that you think will make you more like God. Something that you think will, and we fall into the sin, watch this, of trying to gain the father's approval rather than living in the father's approval. I can take you to another scenario of temptations when Jesus was met with Satan in the wilderness. And the temptations that were given, they, they, in fact, Satan even offered scriptural context for the temptations that he was trying to get Jesus to perform. And this is where a lot of the church is, is living and lying in these last days. We're talking about this, this element. We've been on this now for the last couple of weeks of kingdom discipleship. What does it mean to live uh, in that, that order uh, and discipleship committed dedication to the kingdom of God? What, is the, what does the church look like in these last days? Restoring an order of commitment to being a Christian, to being a believer. What does that really look like? And if we're not careful, we will move discipleship into an arena that doesn't have God's hand on it whatsoever. God is not attracted to performance. God is not attracted to doing everything just right. And that can be confusing sometimes when we learn that God is as holy as he is and as righteous as he is and as demanding of holiness from you and I as he is. And I'll remind you, God has not lowered the bar on holiness. There's no 2022 version of God. And there's no 2022 version of sin. There's no 2022 version of tolerance and 2022 version of holiness. There's no such thing. God is, and he is, and he was, and he will be, and nothing will ever change. He looks at sin today the same way he looked at sin then. But the enemy recognizes when when you're too redeemed to sin, are you redeemed enough to avoid self-righteousness? If you're too redeemed to fall in the trap of, of, of being bound by the ways of the world, then he will get you living this, this life out of trying to prove to God who you already are, who he's made you to be. Remember in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve could not be any more like God than they already were. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, two chapters before already says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. You cannot get any more like God than made in his image according to our likeness. 
And so in a perfect state where there is no sin, and I recognize I can't get Adam and Eve to straight up rebel and, and uh, disrupt the plan of God for their lives uh, through, through the amount of just disobeying God at his word and saying, you know, denounce God, you don't need God, do your own thing. He immediately proposes to them a way to become more like God. Right, the enemy's tricky, cunning, deceptive, subtle in how he is uh, trying to lure us and trying to get us away from the plan of God for our lives. And so he says, watch out for those dogs. Uh, In uh, the Passion Translation in verse 2, it reads this way, beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you Uh, who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. In the Amplified Classic, it reads this way, look out for those dogs, Judaizers and legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, the confusion that is being brought into the world today and into Christianity and into church today is that you have to be on one side or the other. You've got to either be on all performance religious activity or you've got to be on the side where God tolerates and accepts everything. And so holiness all of a sudden gets devalued and righteous living gets devalued and, and, and abstaining from certain things gets devalued. And, 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 and I, mean, well, I was just talking about it just a couple of days ago with a group of individuals that, that different doctrines, there's even a doctrine that has come out called the doctrine of inclusion. Y'all familiar with that one? Everybody's going to heaven no matter what. What an easy plan that is. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you don't even have to confess them as Lord. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you live. Everybody's getting into heaven. You go to heaven and you go to heaven and you go to heaven. It's like you get a car and you get a boat. and you, What in the world are we allowing? How do we get there? How do we, how do we even arrive at this place? to a point that it influences and actually causes other people to follow along. Follow along. No, it's because we do not have a found, uh, a sound, if you were, uh, would rather, a sound adherence to the word. And I'm telling you right now, um, you know, I probably say it every Sunday. I feel like I say it every Sunday, but don't go tired of me saying it. Um, we must be biblically literate. Because people will use scripture to back their positions. People will use scripture. The devil uses scripture to back their positions. And you know what is so interesting? That God really created that context. He put the word of God in the hands of man that you and I have the capacity to ruin this whole thing by misinterpretation and by misleading people while using scripture to do it. Yet he still 
obligates you and I to his word. We will not be able to stand before him and say, well, the Passion Translation said this. And the New Living read it this way. And the pastor preached it this way. And my grandmother, so, you know, I'm not at fault. You're still going to stand, you're still going to stand accountable. Hello? For living according to his word and for knowing his word for yourself. And we won't be able to look at God and say, well, man messed it all up. We still are going to be responsible for living according to God's word for what God's word says, regardless of who may have messed it up and regardless of who didn't teach us. And, and, and you're going to stand accountable for what you know. You're not going to stand accountable for what you don't know. That's why once you come to know something, you become responsible for it. You become held accountable for it. But these individuals in the name of Jesus, these weren't, you know, uh, uh, you know, people that were discrediting the word of God in one sense. They were discrediting the version that Paul was bringing, but they were using scripture to refute that. This isn't just, uh, you know, what's good and what's evil. We've got to understand even the difference between what's good, what sounds good, and what's God. This is why our our discernment in these last days might be one of the most needed gifts you and I are going to have to learn how to operate in because it's getting uh, considerably difficult even in church realms, in church circles where they might just be off just a little bit, might, might just have one little thing that doesn't register with your spirit. And if you continue to override that and tolerate that, you're going to find yourself so far veered off from God's plan and purpose I mean, nobody today is really taking, you know, hard 90s away from God's word. They're veering off little by little. They're taking these slight, and, 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 you know, initially it's not that far off from where it was. But you follow that path long enough. I mean, I just flew on a plane yesterday back from Oklahoma. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if they get off track just a little bit, well, you know, right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma might not been that bad. We can get back on path. But, you know, you continue to follow that path. I'm going to end up in South America before I know it. That's not where I was trying to go. I'm trying to get to Valdosta, Georgia. The tangents and the, and it's just off a little bit. And I, you know, and, 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 and when we build a tolerance and acceptance for that, what it does is it, it creates, it restricts our ability to withstand a word that is not of God. It, it desensitizes us and it lowers our capacity to make sure things are aligned with God's word. I don't just need a version of the truth. I need the truth. You know, this Tuesday is a very important day if you weren't already aware of that. And I'm just going to say this. This should be the easiest. uh, It's the easiest election in my lifetime. What do you mean by that, Pastor Mark? You know what I mean by that. You know what I mean by that. This one's easy, guys. This shouldn't even be close. It will be, and that's extremely disappointing. I'm not going to get into that today. 
There's no reason this one should be close. They've made it so easy on the other side. They've made this so extremely easy where the Bible is completely just dumped on. They, they, they take anything that's of God and they want to flip it on its head and they want to tell you up is down and down is up. This is the easiest one. And, and, and I've, I haven't been doing this very long, but this is an easy one. The only reason it's confusing for you is because you don't know the word of God. The only reason you think it's okay to still vote another side is because you're emotionally attached to another side and you've been stirred up by the other side and they've tugged on your heartstrings. It's super easy. Vote the Bible. Vote the Bible. This is not hard stuff. This is not hard. There are demons running for positions that are calling shots in your territories, in your cities, in your counties. I'm not saying the person is, but I'm saying there are demonic forces behind it. Well, what about this individual? No, you're not voting for a person. You're voting for policy and platform. Either one upholds the word or one doesn't. It's so easy. It is cut and dry. It's very simple. Be a person that will vote righteously. It's the righteous, it's, it's, the, it's the country and the nation that exalts God, that, that commands his blessing and commands his hand. And I, I'm, I'm done with the world telling me that I can't have any engagement and the church shouldn't be having any engagement. They, that's exactly what they want you to believe. That's exactly what, that the church shouldn't be talking about politics. I mean, we're not talking about politics, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the kingdom of God's greater than any government on this planet. And I'm not moved by it. Wednesday morning when I wake up, it won't be any different for me. God is my king. Jesus is my king. But you think I'm going to, you think I'm just going to allow people to run amok and just do whatever they want in, in the, in the countries and the territories where I'm living, where I have influence. No, not happening. Not happening. But how do we get there? How does that level of deception rise to that capacity? How, how do we get to a place where people fall for what seems obvious? For what seems like it's right on the surface waiting for you. Like it's cut and dry, it's black and white. Remember Hebrews chapter five says, we need, to, we need uh, our senses exercised to discern between good and evil which sounds easy. Sounds easy. I have to have my senses exercised to determine good, bad. I can look at my two-year-old and say, good, bad. But see, when we don't give attention to our capacity to discern, because there will be opposition that arises. There will be persecution that arises. I heard someone say this past weekend, you know, why, why, why is one side being persecuted when they stand up uh, for biblical values? And why is the other side not being, per be, and, and he put it this way, he said, because the Bible says you're persecuted for righteousness, you're not persecuted for unrighteousness. <laughs> that was good. Means, 
if you're not taking any flack for your position and your stance on something, you might be on the wrong side. If everybody's in agreement with you, everybody's standing with you, might be a good time to take some inventory and say, what am I standing for? It's time for the church to, I can be the minority, but I'll be louder than the majority. It is possible for one man to outvoice a million. Church has got to get its voice back. But it won't happen with the church that doesn't know the word of God. It won't happen with the church that remains biblically illiterate. They have figured something out in all of their evil and in all of their wickedness and in all their depravity. They have figured out what motivates people and what moves people and what gets people to even reassign a vote and reassign a position and reassign a stance and begin to tolerate things that five years ago they would have never even thought of tolerating or accepting. The devil is cunning. The devil is tricky. The devil is deceptive and he's working harder in these last days harder than he ever has which means you and I should be working harder than we ever have we should be working hard I mean if he can reach him at a young age why aren't we I attended a banquet several weeks ago for the mailbox club here right here in Valdosta and they said man you know he, he said the crazy thing about our ministry is we're reaching, you know, elementary, kindergarten to fifth grade, five to 10 years old. He said, right there in that window, it's the craziest thing. It's the most ironic thing. They're the easiest generation to reach and win for Christ. But on the flip side of that, they are the most neglected generation. <laughs> we might be missing our greatest moment. You won't talk to them about sex, but you know what? Somebody is. We won't, we, we won't talk to them about uh, identity, but somebody is. This, I, the, we, our eyes have to be opened to these things. Because you and I are bombarded with and fighting off things today that were introduced when we were that age. Hello? Yes, we are. The enemy knows if I get them now, they'll fight this thing in their 60s. They'll deal with this thought, this activity, this burden, this problem. They'll deal with this weight the rest of their lives. If I get it in them, he understands the power of a seed. Amen. Y'all doing okay? We're seeing that there are those that will come underneath and undermine the kingdom of God. What is religion? Religion is practice without purpose. Religion is practice without purpose. Ultimately, it's what it comes down to. It's not necessarily that the activity is wrong. It's just got an improper motivation. And so if the enemy knows I can't get them over into sinful activity, I'll get them into spiritual activity with the wrong heart. 
I'll replace kingdom activity with religious activity. I'll replace the reason and the motive for why they do what they do. We're talking about kingdom discipleship. God still has a value for our lives, still has a value for the activity, still has a value for what we say, still has a value for how we live, still has a value for how we conduct our marriages, has a value for how we live as a man and a woman, how we value our jobs and our places of employment, whether we own it or whether we uh, uh, are employed by it. He has a value for how we conduct ourselves in, in, in our spheres of influences, in the societies that we're in. God still has a value for all those things, but if the enemy recognizes I can't get them to just blatantly dis, uh, uh, disobey God's word, then I'll get them to obey it with the wrong heart and the wrong motives. That's what's happening. An external consistency will build a false internal confidence. An external consistency will build a false internal confidence. And so Paul begins to go on this tangent and he says that there are those that are coming in that said, you got to do this, this, and this if you want to be in the kingdom of God. Now remember, they're, they're ultimately saying, I'm, we're trying to get you to the same place Paul's trying to get you but you're gonna have to do this, this, and this before we get there, where Paul's saying, man, confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, he's raised from the dead, and then you will be saved, and then you're there. And they're trying to replace a faith, they're trying to replace uh, a confidence in what God has done for me into what can I do for God. That's what they're trying to do. They're replacing it. If we go on here in this passage in verse, uh, where are we at? Verse four? No, verse three. We're in verse three. In the uh, New Living, verse three. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Here it is. We put no confidence in, in human effort. In the Passion, it reads this way. We have already experienced heart circumcision. And we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. The Amplified reads, for we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. He's letting them know, here's the, here's the danger you're going to run, is, is I'm calling you to a life of Christ. I'm calling you to a life that looks way different than the life I'm calling you to abandon. Abandon the, the life of darkness. Take on the life of Christ. Christ has set you free, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But as you begin to live this new life out, 
When the enemy recognizes, okay, I can't tempt them with the sins and the failures and the passions and the lusts of their previous life. Now I'm going to get them to feel like and believe that they are going to accomplish kingdom things with religious practice. And now what you're going to do is you're not going to keep your confidence in Christ and keep your confidence in the shed blood and keep your confidence in the death on the cross and being raised back to life. You're going to start putting your confidence in how often do I go to church? How often do I read my Bible? Am I praying enough? Am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? Am I going to the right places? And I'll replace, and essentially what he's saying is I'm replacing where you put your confidence. Because you know, when you came in the kingdom of God, you know you were lost. You knew it. This is not something I can do for myself. This is not something I can accomplish on my own. I've reached the end of my limit. I've reached as far as I can go. I've done as much as I can do. Then all of a sudden you come into that new life in Christ and it's like, man, look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. But if we don't keep ourselves in that state, We'll start looking at, well, look at what I've done and look at how much I've given and look at where I've been and look at what I say and watch what I do. And we start getting in this mode of relying on our own practice, relying on our own capacity to keep what God obtained. God was powerful enough to obtain it, but now it's my work that keeps it. And he's letting them know, no, 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 no. If God obtained it for you, he's the one that keeps you in it. Now, again, we're not walking back on the value of living holy and righteous. We're not walking back on the need to live a holy life. We're not walking back. It's amazing that we have to continue to keep these disclaimers, but that's how the enemy works. He wants you to abandon one for the other. No, we need a healthy balance of both. A healthy balance of recognizing this is what God accomplished for me. This is what God has called me to. This is what God has provided for me. Now, this is my response to him. I live holy, not because it proves to God I'm worth it, but because he saw that I was worth it. And now from what he did, I live holy. I live righteous. I adhere to his word. I change my, my lifestyle. I change my condition. I change my state of living. It's both. Paul goes on to say here in verse four, he ends verse three, says we put no confidence in human effort. Verse four, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul says in verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That was the very matter that they're addressing. You must be physically circumcised if you want to be in God's kingdom plan. He says, well, if they want to boast that they made it to adulthood and then got circumcised, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I did it before any of them. I am a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He's saying, you want to talk about your resume. You want to talk about what you've done. You want to talk about what you've accomplished. You want to talk about what you practice and your religious uh, lifestyle and your religious practice and, and, and where you go and what you do and what you don't do and how often you do it and, and your little image that you got going on on the outside. You want to talk about what we put external confidence in? Check out my resume. He, he said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the leading Pharisee. You know, as a Pharisee, you know, Paul had to have the, the entire Torah, the Bible memorized at a young age. I don't remember what the age was. Maybe some of you Bible scholars remember. Eight years old, 12 years old, something like Young age had to have it memorized. He said, you want to talk about practice? I've got practice. You want to talk about religious activity? I've got the activity. I run, I run circles around your religious activity. I've done it all. But verse seven, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them Worthless, watch this, because of what Christ has done. One of the keys to our discipleship in the kingdom of God is always weighing what I do in comparison to what he's done. It doesn't devalue the activity and, and the need to continue but I always keep it in comparison to what Christ has done. I go to church because that's what disciples do. They go to church and they, they fellowship among other like-minded believers and they get fed the word and they worship and proclaim the glory of God together with other believers. I, I go there because it's the training ground for the body of Christ. It is where I bring my supply. It is where I'm serving. But it compared to what Jesus did, it still has weight just nothing compared because going to church doesn't save me. Going to church doesn't deliver me. Going to church doesn't set me free. Going to church doesn't heal my marriage. Going to church doesn't, doesn't make me a kingdom citizen. Going to church doesn't promise me salvation and promise me entrance into heaven. Going to church isn't what allows me to receive blessings. I weigh all that against what Jesus did. And if you have, you know, the scales, you put what Jesus did, it's going to hit the bottom every time. It's going to outweigh and outperform as I don't care if you go to church eight days out of the week. That's a lot of church. Twice on Sunday. Paul's saying, you want to talk about practice. I didn't just read the Bible. I memorized it. I didn't just memorize it. I did it. I was, you could not find fault. But see, religious activity, he found himself harshly persecuting and murdering Christians while remaining in right standing with the law. 
Well, that's a scary thing about religious activity because while you think you're living for Christ, you may be crucifying and, and condemning the very thing that he's a part of. You may be murdering the very plan of God. All in the name of righteousness. No, he says, I always weigh it. I weigh the activity in comparison to what Jesus has already done. Our discipleship is not about trying to compete with what Jesus did. You know, sometimes I've felt that way. He did so much over here. So now I got to do all this to try to catch up. That's not, you're not catching up. You're not competing with what Jesus did. You're completing what Jesus did. I'm not trying to catch up to, I'm advancing from. He said, I've taken this big old step that allows you to take these little baby steps from where I left off. Because he's not working anymore. He's done everything he's going to do. He's done. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he's left it up to you and I. And it doesn't matter how many people you heal. It doesn't matter how many people you get saved. It doesn't matter how many people get baptized in the Holy Spirit under your ministry. It doesn't matter how good of a husband or wife you are. It doesn't matter good how, how good of a parent you are. It doesn't matter how righteously you run your business. You're never going to outdo Jesus. But what he did and left off allows us to start from there. I'm not trying to compete. It's not like, oh, my big brother Jesus, he gave his life and he died on the cross and he shed his blood and he was persecuted and he was abandoned and he was beaten and he was mocked. I can never be. No, I'm not trying to catch up to him. I'm trying to complete and advance. That's what true kingdom discipleship is. This isn't a competition with Jesus. This, we're not competing with the cross. We're not competing with this sacrifice, but yet Jesus still says, take up your cross and follow me. And he says, because I took up mine, it now empowers you to take up yours. Because I took up my cross, you can take up yours too. And stop trying to weigh your cross against his. No, he says, we all have a cross to bear. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, meaning I thought they were of more worth than they really were. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Verse eight, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Now he takes it to a level religious activity will never get you. Religious activity will help you know about God, but it will never bring you close enough to know God. Activity alone, performance alone, Oh, you can learn about something. You can learn so much of it that you'll become arrogant. You can learn so much of it, you'll become a Pharisee. 
Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. Nothing but death and decay on the inside. It, you, it will create for you an amazing external shell that you put on Instagram. It'll create for you an amazing social media presence. But on the inside, you'll still be empty. Everybody else will think you know everything about scripture and everything and, and, and that, that you and God are like this and, and God's gonna, you're gonna be one of those. Depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, I, yeah, I, I heard about you. But I didn't know you. No, Paul says, all that religious performance and activity, nothing compared to knowing him. And I knew about him. You can't memorize the Torah and not know about him. But he says, all that's worthless if I don't know him. Discipleship will bring you close to him. Will bring you close to not just stuff about him, but bring you close to the person of Jesus Christ himself. He says, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Now that's tight. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. He's not saying I don't strive for righteousness. He just says, I don't count on it. It's not saying that I'm just living my life and just do whatever I want. I'm doing what the word says. I just am not relying on my obedience to the word to be the reason why uh, I, I am, I'm in the kingdom of God doing what he's called me to do. My purpose is not vote, motivated by actions. My purpose is motivated by relationship. And then from the relationship, the actions come. No, he says, rather, I become righteous through faith. Remember this whole thing, he's saying, I'm reminding you of this because I want to safeguard your faith. Our faith is what gets compromised when we start living out of religious formality and religious practice. Your faith internally, your belief in God. Religious people can tell you about miracles, but they cannot help you get one. I just had an individual just tell me this past week going through a, a crisis. And when the, when the crisis came, he said there were a bunch of people uh, that showed up and they were boohooing and they were crying and they were sad for us. And, oh, we're so sorry to hear that. And, and you know, da, da, da. He said there was one person, one person that said, where's your faith? We'll stand and agree and believe with you. One person, a lot of people that know the Bible, a lot of religious people, a lot of Christians, a lot of people that, oh, I'll be praying for you, brother. No, I need prayers that make power available, dynamic in their working. I don't just need prayers. I need prayers that get answered. 
I need someone to go to another level. I need someone to get straight to the throne room. I need someone to go with boldness, not with, dear God, if it be your will, shyness and timidity before the King of kings and the Lord of lords making a demand on something he's already provided for me. If you see fit, man, come on. There, there's a distinction. There's a difference. There's a draw, there's a pull, there's a demand when you know him. I I don't want someone that just knows about. Come on, when you get in legal trouble, I don't want someone that knows about an attorney. I want someone that knows an attorney. Take me to the man, get me to him. Come on, y'all with me? You get in a bad enough crisis, you're going to find the people that don't just know about this stuff. They know this stuff. They live this stuff. And they can take you straight to the man. Amen. He says, I become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become righteousness, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. This is actually a way that actually builds your faith, strengthens your faith, develops your faith. Crisis is a phenomenal faith builder in your life. Tests and trials, they're a great, they're not the most desirable way. But they will build your faith. Because when you got when you watch God come through for you, when you watch God do something that could not be done on man's ability alone, in man's capacity alone, no matter how righteous or religious someone may seem. When you get true life experience, man, he did it for me. I know he'll do it for you. He did it before. I know he'll do it again. That's a faith builder. That's a faith igniter. I mean, you, you don't even have to throw that much gasoline on something like that. And this thing's going kapoof. Faith is exploding. Because now it's built on something that can withstand any test and trial and struggle. He says, this is what my faith depends on. I want to know Christ, verse 10, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You cannot experience resurrection until you first experience death. Religion wants to know God at the expense of struggle at the expense of death, at the expense of, of, of trial. They do everything they can to avoid. Religious people look for a way out. Kingdom people look for a way through. I'm not looking for a way around this. I'm not tra- we are not training you to avoid trials and tribulations. We're teaching you how to be of good cheer in trials and tribulations. 
If you're looking for the avoiding church, you got the wrong one. We're steering you straight into the mess of this thing. We're going right into the jaws of death. We're going right for the throat. We're going straight for the gut punch. We're, you, you come for our kids, we're standing there blocking the door. You come for my city, we're blocking the door. You come for our schools, we're blocking the door. You're going to have to go through me before you can get to it. The Israelite army, when they were encamped around uh, uh, Goliath, they were hoping that some way they could avoid the battle. David said, where's he at? Where's that man at? I'm going straight to him. He in essence said, how dare you talk about our nation and ultimately my God that way? That's the David mentality. Religious people aren't going for the jaw. They're, they are not going for the, no, they, they are hoping it passes, hoping things get better, and ultimately they find themselves just waiting by until Jesus comes and gets us and takes us all home. That's an individual that does not have a revelation of who they are in Christ. That's an individual that doesn't know what they possess. That's an individual that doesn't know what they have. That doesn't, that's an individual that doesn't even know the word. When you know the word, you cannot sit idly by and watch the world go to waste on your watch. This is our time. This is your time. And religious activity won't cut it. True kingdom discipleship is committed and dedicated to the cause, to the kingdom cause, and is saying, I've got to get with him. It's not going to be out of performance. Um, verse, where are we at? 10. I want to know Christ, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I've got this in another, yeah, verse 8 in the Amplified. Verse 8 in the Amplified. He says, yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding him more fully and clearly. Are you seeing this? Religious activity doesn't bring you closer to God. It draws you further away from God. It's the one thing that opposed Jesus in his ministry when he, when he, when he was here on earth was religious activity. Religious activity murdered Jesus. Religious activity sought to halt and stall and was the biggest threat to Jesus's ministry. Not the lost people, not the sinners, not the demon possessed, not the woman caught in adultery, 
The woman caught in adultery did not pose a threat to Jesus's ministry, but the women, but, but, but the men that drug her out in the streets, they were. What do you say about this, Jesus? Religious activity seeks to make a mockery of the very thing that is the target of heaven. Seeks to heal the very, seeks to destroy the very thing God is seeking to heal. You see, this is what happens. We will, we will talk about the world and the problems they're having and the struggles they're having and the challenges that we see in the world and the wickedness that we see in the world, we'll call it out without a heart to heal it and see it restored. That's what religion will do. That's what religion will do. Religion will drag it in the street to make a mockery of it, even bring it before God and say, how should we condemn this one? That's religious activity. Rather than the heart should be saying, how do we heal this? How do we deliver this? How do we set this free? How do we, how do we uh, stand in the face of this confusion? How do, we, how do we come against this demonic pressure? How do we come against this oppression? How do we, how do we deliver this that's, that's been broken? Remember what Jesus said, I've been anointed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, not call them out. To set at liberty the captives, not keep them bound. Restore sight to the blind, not keep them in further darkness. See, everything that religion opposes, Jesus came to deliver. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to restore. It's a different mindset. And Paul's saying, man, when I get a picture of this, when I get a glimpse of this, when I get to know him, my heart toward the world changes. My heart to destruction changes. My heart to depravity changes. Are we just problem finders or problem solvers? The religious have no problem finding issues, but they haven't yet solved one. They have yet to solve one problem. Find me a religious person with an answer. You can't find it. They can tell you all about it. All right. More deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be more rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ, the anointed one and that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my own obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. For my, de- my determined purpose is that I may know him 
that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts over believers that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. Worship team, if you come. Paul discounted not the activity, but the worth of the activity. This is the same Paul that said, be holy as I'm holy. The same Paul that said, follow my example. It's the same Paul that confronted the Corinthian church and said, you guys are envious of one another. You're backbiting. You're sleeping with people you shouldn't be sleeping with. You're doing this. You're taking each other to court. You're, 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 you, you, you've got, uh, you know, Circles within the church, camps within the church, ones of Apollos, ones of Paul. He addressed these issues of holiness of, and unrighteousness. He addressed them. But he let us know from the core, I didn't live that way to become something. I didn't live that way to try to achieve something. I didn't live that way to try to be approved of God. I didn't live that way so I could perform and entertain you. I lived that way out of a deep intimacy and knowledge, not just about God, but of God himself. In, in such a completeness, completeness and such a tightness that we were one. We were intimately known together. See, true kingdom discipleship will draw you closer to him. It will not just simply involve you in more activity. The danger of discipline, the danger of consistency, the danger of a true Commitment and dedication is that we can start to rely on our own ability rather than his ability. That we can start putting more confidence and more trust and more faith. It's like we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding the blood. I'll take it from here. Rather than keeping in remembrance only because of the cross, only because of the shed blood, only because the, the God himself came and put himself in this earth as a seed, as a man, that he died and gave his life, only because of what he did can I even do half of what I'm doing. That the real commitment on the inside is saying, I'm not trying to become I'm doing this because I'm not trying to compete with Jesus. I'm trying to complete the work of Jesus. He goes on to say there in Philippians chapter three, 
verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, this is a continual pursuit. It never lets up. I never arrive. I never fully achieve all that God has for me. I never fully become all that God wants me to be. Every day, it's a striving forward. Every day, it's a pressing on toward the mark of the high calling. Every day, it's a pursuit. I wake up the next morning with just as much pursuit that I had yesterday. You should have just as much pursuit toward the things of God in your heart that you did the day you came into the kingdom. The day that you were fully aware of your brokenness, your depravity, your destructive habits, your failures, your weaknesses. We come into Christ and we begin to change. We begin to get healed. We begin to get restored. We begin to see the work of Christ working in our lives. But we've got to remember, I'm just that close to being that broken person as I was before. That at any moment, if I'm not careful, I can start putting my trust in, yeah, I went to church every Sunday this year. I got perfect attendance. I'm on the mark with my daily Bible reading plan. I shared the gospel. I did this. I did. No, it's not the activity that's causing you to live the abundant life you're living. There's a continual pursuit, a continual press. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. He said, if you disagree with me, take it up with him. Because not one of you in your own ability has achieved righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not one of us in our own capacity. It doesn't matter your story. Doesn't matter your testimony. You know, I used to tell God that as a as a young man growing up. God, I don't really have a testimony. I didn't have a broken past. I didn't have. I, I grew up in church. I grew up in a good family. I grew up in in a good word. I I had positive experiences. But one sin in my life separated me just as far as the one that ran as far from God as as fast as he possibly could. God doesn't have a scale system. We do. But God doesn't have a scale system. There's not first degree and second degree and third degree with God. There's not felonies and misdemeanors. It's it's all on the same level with him. You disobeyed, you rebelled, you ran far from me, you were separated from me. You need to be brought back into the household. You need to recognize everything we have in this walk with God 
everything we are called to be as a church, everything we're called to be as believers, it's only made, only made possible because of what he did. That's why we sing, great are you, Lord. That's why it's your breath in our lungs. The breath in my lungs doesn't make me righteous. The breath in my lungs gets to acknowledge the righteousness that he has given me. The breath in my lungs doesn't make me better. The breath in my lungs is what I give back to him because of what he gave to me. It's the least that I can do, but if I can sing, it's all, it's, if, if it's all I can do to sing and declare and to worship and to lift up and proclaim the goodness of God because I did not get here on my own. I did not achieve this on my own. I did not cause this on my own. I need to be fully aware every day of my life. He provided it. He sustains me. He delivered me and he keeps me. He obtained it and he maintains it. So Father, we just, we just lift our hands and declare. Could y'all just stay with me just for a moment? Let's just take this moment to acknowledge how good he is. Come on, acknowledge that you wouldn't be where you are today without him. Acknowledge that without his spirit and his hand on your life, we'd still be far. We'd still be destined for brokenness, destined for failure. We'd still be in need of a savior. We'd still be far separated. Nowhere near what we could be. But by his blood, by his grace, by his mercy, he's brought us near. By, by his mercy, we can approach the throne of, of grace with boldness and with confidence. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.